Hey everybody, welcome to the D&D Roundtable, a D&D podcast on the Tome Show Network. My name's Topher, I'm your host for the Roundtable. With us tonight is Jim, James Floyd Kelly, and Roundtable newcomer David Whitehead. I want to thank our sponsor, Easy Dice Roller at EasyDiceRoller.com. Don't forget to use the Amazon affiliate links and the DM Guild affiliate links to help the show out. And if you like what you hear, please take a second and give us a review on iTunes. Now, guys, let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. Hey, first of all, I'd like to introduce you guys to a roundtable alumnus, James Floyd Kelly. How are you doing tonight, sir? I am good, Topher. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so happy to hear that. No, uh, I'm sorry. Sh- or should I call you DM James? Is that right? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I'm going by DM Jim. It just has a nice DM ring Jim to it. DM has a better ring to it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's an inside yeah. joke that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so um, uh, Jim here, James, is a uh, local... DM in the Metro Atlanta area. I know him from Titan Candy Comics. He's also a uh, been a writer for Geek Dad. Um, has uh, recently been featured on Maker Magazine's website for his brand new video podcast on the video tutorial show. I'm sorry, on the YouTube called Game Terrain Engineering, which we'll talk to you later about that. I watched the first episode of two, sir, and I'm super excited about it. I think what you're doing is pretty fantastic. Um, and he's just an all-around good guy and someone who I'm a big fan of. So uh, our audience knows you a little bit, but here's the question I have. As a man who runs a YouTube channel called Game Train Engineering, my get-to-know-you question tonight is, Theater of the Mind in 5th edition, when do you think it's the best to use? <laughs> well, you know, I, I will be upfront and honest and state that Theater of the Mind is the hardest form of dungeon mastering for me. I'm just not good at it, and that's because I do like to have miniatures. I like to have terrain. I like to have obstacles and things that you can look at and touch and block other players with and hide behind. And, you know, that that is a funny trick question for, for, for me. Uh, you're right, um, because I do enjoy terrain. But I will tell you that um, I grew up learning D&D or playing D&D in the early days. This was in the early, early 80s. Um, most of the time that I was a player, I, it was theater of the mind. The DMs told the story um, you know, you had to imagine it. And so that was how I learned to play D&D. And, of course, back then we didn't have – I didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't have miniatures and I didn't have terrain and neither did the DM. So in the early days, I loved it. But, you know, in today's gaming world, um, you really have to have I, – I believe that you have to have a table of players who really like that kind of gaming because if they don't, and you as a DM love it, I think you can lose their interest. And, but, you know, the opposite is is just as risky. I might be the DM that loves terrain and loves miniatures, and my players might prefer more of a storytelling element. But um, I'm very fortunate that so far the players that I've been uh, – that I've had at my table during Adventures League uh, have enjoyed the the mats and the tiles and other things I bring to the table, but to answer your question, when do I think what what do I think is, uh, theater of the mind? When is it at its best? I think it's at its best when the DM and the players come to the table 
expecting that kind of game because you have to, as a DM, I have to know what my players want. And I did ask my players for this season, you know, what, what do you want? And they were very vocal. If the majority of them had said, you know what, Jim, we'd really prefer some more role playing and, and more of a storytelling. I, I would have changed gears somehow and I would have found a way to make them happy. Well, isn't that really why we're there is to tell a great story and to make our players happy? I mean, ultimately, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, the books and materials that we get from Wizards of the Coast, the imagery in the books and the descriptions, those should, theoretically, DMs should be able to use that, just reading the room, the room descriptions and showing the pictures. In a way, you almost say that's enough. But, you know, again, in this day and age with photocopiers and co- digital computers and 3D printers and these kind of things – uh, I look at the way gaming is going right now, the, you know, moving away from theater of the mind and getting more into a tactical um, three-dimensional type feel on the desktop. I don't see that as a bad thing. I, I see that as a, as a maturing of the gaming process. I mean, if you think about it, Wargaming started as a tactical, tactile game. You moved miniatures around, and that's where Gygax and Arneson – you know, started, that's where they cut their teeth. So I see it as sort of like we've come back around in a circle and, and now the game is sort of coming back into that, uh, that, that, you know, there has to be a good story, no doubt. There has to be a good story, but it doesn't mean you can't put that story in a visual way on the table for your players to enjoy. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, the very first D and D book, the, the white book or the white box, right? The, right. The little tiny book, it was said Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. Rules for fantasy miniature war games uh, compatible with paper and pencil and miniature figures. Yep. That's the, that was the title on the front cover. So I don't disagree with you at all, sir. I think uh, you make some fine points. All right. So let's move on to our second guest of the evening, Mr. David Whitehead. Hello, Mr. Whitehead. How are you tonight? Good evening, sir. I am very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. Dave is uh, new to the round table, so I'm going to ask him a little bit about himself here. Um, you are relatively new back to D&D, right? You came back with 5th edition, but you had played before. Is that true? Uh, that, that's a true statement. I had played uh, advanced D&D back in the early 80s as a young neophyte, still learning to hone his imagination. And then uh, a number of years off, although still deep in the geek world with comic books and, and a lot of uh, Marvel superheroes role-playing games, um, I ended up um, dipping slightly back in probably about 10 years ago with probably, what was it, three and 3.5 maybe uh, of, of D&D. And then uh, after just conversation with you and the fun you were having at Titans, I figured it would be time to go dip back into the world of D&D again with, with the fifth edition rules. If I remember the story correct, uh, you played at PAX, right, at one of the Learn How to Play fifth edition with Wizards of the Coast folks. Is that true? That's exactly true. Yeah, a friend and I had gone out to PAX and had a slot open one morning and figured, you know, we haven't played this game in a very long time. Let's go sit down and play. Uh, And before we knew it, four hours had gone by. We had lost half our party to a dragon, uh, but we did end up killing and slaying that dragon most effectively, as heroes are supposed to do, and had brought some of that passion back. And I think we had uh, tried to have a and d session here with our group of friends, and it just, I don't know, never really caught on. But now with fifth edition rules, that seems to have changed. I don't know if it was the rule set or just life, but uh, it was packs that really kicked off that new spark of enjoyment. Right on. See, ladies and gentlemen, public play is important, and that's why everyone should support public play. I'm just saying out loud, Wizards of the Coast. Are, are you listening to me, Wizards of the Coast? 
Okay. Um, so uh, you have been playing for a little while. You actually DM'd recently, if I remember right. So I think this question is a good question for you um, as a new, relatively new back to fifth edition player and a new, relatively new DM. Um, when do you think, using Theater of the Mind, agreeing with our dear friend um, James Kelly that it's tough to do effectively, but when do you think it is the best used at a table for a fifth edition? I think I, I will have to agree with DM Jim that it is based on the people you have around the table. There are probably tables that it works very effectively for. Uh, there are tables where it's essentially like herding cats and trying to get them to pay attention to a scene that you're crafting with merely your voice, maybe a hand-drawn map. Uh, could become a lot more difficult with certain distractions. I, I would imagine that playing in a public setting it might be a little bit more difficult because you have a large group of people around you, some potentially background noise. And I think it works best when it is just a group playing D&D in a home or in a place where there's minimal to few distractions. And I think you really have to have a good storytelling DM. There is probably more burden on that DM to come up and be able to just weave a tale with merely their voice and find the right descriptive phrases and be able to truly ensorcel their players, for, for lack of a better word, so they can really immerse themselves in that world. I know when I used to play advanced D&D, one of my favorite parts was drawing of the map. As Jim said, I, I didn't have money. I, I had no money for miniatures, uh, and certainly none of my friends did. So ultimately, we got as, only as far as some graph paper and a bunch of blocky dungeons that we drew out and hid with other sheets of paper so the fog of war wouldn't uh, be revealed until they've made it to that section of the dungeon. Uh, but we had, I guess, our imagination carrying us through that. So I think uh, a flip side of that is also just necessity because it can be just circumstances that require a theater of the mind. And uh, what is it? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So at some point, just through sheer probably practice, you become good at telling stories and really invoking that theater of the mind. But as Jim said, I think it really depends on the people around the table and can you, with their help, because obviously they're a part of the story, build that true theater with the participation of the audience, the players, and then the, the stage master, the, the, the DM. All right. Well, thank you guys for hopping on that. I think, um, I think that's true. I think what you guys have hit on is pretty true. All right. I want to talk to about our first topic here. Our first topic is WizKids recently announced a second round, or a as I think their wording is, uh, new figures coming, their unpainted miniature line. Uh, they did a line for both Dungeons & Dragons and for Pathfinder. The Dungeons & Dragons ones are called... Um, Nozurs, am I saying that right? N-O-L-Z-U-R-S, Marvelous Miniatures. And the Pathfinder will obviously fall under uh, Deep Cuts, is what they're calling them, which is Pathfinder Battles and their Deep Cuts for Wiz Kids, um, which is some terrain items. I think there's a chest and a, an in barrel or something like that. Uh, but they've announced uh, new ones where they said, and I quote, if I'm reading this correctly, um, today we're excited to announce the plan to bring previously unavailable and long sought after creatures to our Dungeons & Dragons unpainted miniature line. Alright, first of all, <laughs> right on, right? Uh, Excellent. I, yes. Uh, I know I've bought a couple of these and I've used them. I think the uh, I think the quality is pretty great. I know Mr. Whitehead, you've looked at them also. Jim, have you had a chance to uh, DM Jim? Have you had a chance to look at these? You know, I'm actually holding uh, a box in my hand of the zombies because you know a DM can never have 
too many zombies. Um, for for I, me, it's skeletons. I, but yes, for me, for me skeletons. It's skeletons. Right, me. <laughs> yeah, I I saw the zombies, and so I bought three packs of them because you know I thought six zombies. Uh, the only problem with them, and this is just me, is they're unpainted. Obviously, um, they are pre-primed. Which uh, here's the thing, Topher. I stink at painting miniatures. I, I admit it. I, I'm horrible at it. When it comes to the up-close painting of details, maybe it's my age and my eyes just can't do it anymore. But um, I'm trying. And let me tell you Let me tell you what I did recently. Somebody recommended a product to me, which I'm not going to say here because it's a competing product, product um, to help me learn to paint miniatures. So – I am actually using that product right now, and I'm, I'm getting some pretty good results, and I'm getting ready to unpack this first pack of zombies and take a stab at painting these two because, you know, they come two to a pack. Um, I'm getting ready to take a shot at it, and I'm really impressed. i, I got to tell you, I'm impressed with the detail. I mean, you can – I'm looking at this zombie in my hand here, and, you know, I can see his ribs. His toes are poking out of the boots on the end. Um, he's got a snarl. Uh, you know, I'm hoping I can do this justice. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what new figures they release because if they, if, right now I've seen a lot of the basic stuff, the ghoul, the skeleton, the zombies. I'm hoping they really go stretch their imagination and release some of those really wild monsters from the Monster Manual. I don't disagree with you. I think that for my money, uh, you know, they offer – uh, initially, they offered two different packs. They offered the level up packs, which I thought was mm-hmm. very uh, interesting. Where they, it's the same character basically, right? So same class and race. Yep. Um, in theory, as at at the beginning of their adventuring career, in very simple looking weapons and 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 you know armors and accoutrements, and then later on at the end with much more fancier and better stuff. I thought that was really interesting. Then they offered monster packs. It looks like they're also going to offer item packs now going forward. So I'm excited about that. that. That was one that got me because I will tell you, having the ability to toss out some chests and some some armor racks and a wagon and things like that, I, I um, those are the ones that really can help tell a story. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we all have miniatures of our characters and our monsters, but it's those little extras that I'm looking forward to as a DM. I I was disappointed when um, WizKids or Pathfinder did their pre-painted miniatures it was set around an inn i forget the name of the product off the top of my head i'll figure it out put it in the show notes but they promoted it heavily as having you know those kind of thing terrain and scenery items in it uh and the, a lot of the promo shots showed those items but come to find out there was you know i think you got four miniatures per box and only one of them was an item like that and it wasn't always guaranteed to be a terrain item like uh, i you could you could have gotten a horse you could have gotten a farmer you know kind of generic things but yeah. i would have loved to have those boxes really packed full of crates and tables and chairs and and so forth and so on i think that would have been great uh, for my money, and uh, uh, Mr. Whitehead, I'm going to get to you on this. For my money, I think the best use of these is for player characters. I'm with you. I'm not great at painting miniatures. I think if, if I take a lot of time, I can get one looking okay. And so I'd rather take that time and paint my player character or my big baddie NPC in my in my home campaign, you know, the, the, the big boss at the end. Mm-hmm. But if it's for the monsters, I think those are the ones I'm looking, uh, to, looking to buy the pre-painted. And I've always said I wish I had a way to buy you know, from WizKids or from whoever, you know, 15 skeletons pre-painted or 15 right. goblins or 15 whoever, right? I think it'd be great. Um, Mr. Whitehead, uh, I know you have looked at these. I know you actually um, have some artistic skill, unlike myself. Uh, <laughs> what uh, What are your thoughts? Uh, 
from a relatively new to the miniature market, I love these products. They are incredibly detailed. The positioning of the monsters, I bought a couple of uh, a Goblin and, and Cobalt packs for when I ran my adventure previously, and it was just great to have the variety there. And while I attempted to build some theater of the mind, as to touch back on our initial question, the miniatures having them there was exceptionally nice. Uh, I didn't have a chance to paint them before I DM'd, but having gone back and acquired a few more, I really am just impressed with the quality. There aren't mold lines. There aren't really anything detracting from that figure, whether it's a representative of your player character or if it's a monster. Whatever it is, they've done a great job in their sculpts. From Painting them, uh, I won't say I'm any sort of expert at it, but uh, one of my favorite things to do is really just take a picture of the model and play with it in Photoshop first. Get an idea of what color set I want on the mini and be able to then kind of just take that as a map for my painting. So I've got that printout sitting next to my mini uh, with my magnifying glass and my paint set, and we just already kind of have a an end goal in mind when I'm painting it. And it really has helped me get through a few minis a lot more quickly than just kind of futzing around and then realizing, well, shoot, I did not mean to actually paint that Mind Flayer's head pink. <laughs> no, I, Do we I, really know that Mind Flayers don't come in a pink variety? I mean... That's a true fact. That's a true fact. <laughs> I have met Mind Flayers, sir, and they are not pink. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, here in this here in the real world, we have diversity. Look at the five <laughs> look at the five E player handbook. We got diversity. You know, come on, wizards, give us give us some uh, give us some flavors, some different flavors of monsters. I, I want to add one thing about these new miniatures. Um, you know, the the other packs that that wizards sells actually it's not wizards. I can't remember the name of the company, but you know, they're blind packs. You buy it and you don't know what's inside it, right? Yeah, that's so, also WizKids. Well, so WizKids. That is so, WizKids. Yeah. One of the main reasons I never bought those boxes was as a DM, I just didn't see I, – I thought they were a poor financial choice because, you know, I, I could go buy a case of them, which I forget how many boxes came in a case, you know, and, and you were guaranteed to get X and guaranteed to get Y, but you didn't know – you never really knew what you were going to be getting in there, and I hated that. Yes. With these – with these new blister packs, I can walk up and go, ah, there's a ghoul. I need one. Bam, got it. Um, so I want to I want to say publicly, you know, to WizKids that please blister packs. I mean, let us see what we're buying. Let us see the quality, and you're going to sell. Let me tell you something. At my local at uh, at the gaming store, I bought these at, which is uh, it's not Titan, so I I don't want to get get Topher in trouble here. But where I bought these in Atlanta. Um, they were almost out. I mean, they put them out, and then the, I, I put it off for a week, and then the next week when I came back, it was half half of it was gone. So these things are selling, and um, and I hope WizKids you know takes that under advisement that people want to know what they're buying. Yeah, just a parrot, Jim. There's a friendly local comic book shop near me where I live. Titans is a little bit of a haul, and I've popped over there. Their stock is always rotating. I can't go in week after week and say, oh, that fighter I saw last week, let me pick that up, because the odds or the chances of that being there are very low. They've done a very good job, obviously, in producing product that people want, but uh, also to reemphasize to what Jim said and what, what WizKids needs to hear is, I don't want to play lottery games when I'm spending my money on minis or, or figures or accessories for my game. I know what I need and I know what I want. Let me buy it. I'm happy to give you money. Please take my money. But I don't want to have uh, – how many uh, female storm giants did you end up with, Topher? Uh, I think I ended up with four of those. I ended up with five of the hill giants. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
So somebody's going to bring this up in the comments or on Twitter to me, and I want to I want to say this that kind of the competitor to this product would be Reaper Bones, right? Um, they don't come pre-primed, but they're the same quality. I think if, you know the Bones miniatures are, and they're they're white, they're plastic. They're a little more rubbery. They're a little more rubbery. They are. They're know? absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think the price point is the big difference for me. Uh, I'm on I'm on Reaper site right now, and I can buy two skeletons. I'm sorry, I can buy a skeleton swordman, one skeleton. For six dollars and ninety nine cents, I can buy a spearman, two of them for six ninety nine, right? So like seven dollars, and so for the um, Wiz Kids ones, I'm getting two player characters for about that same price point, or three kobolds or three goblins for about that same price point, and I just I yep. find that as in my, my and for my money a little bit better of a of a of a deal. Now obviously it's everybody's you know mileage will vary where you're getting them from, how much the retailer yep. is you know charging, blah blah blah. Um, I think that that's all good and well. Uh, I, I think the ultimate line of this is I'm really happy to see more and more companies putting out miniatures where we as DMs or we as artisans of any kind can now have something to paint and or customize as we see fit. The Reaper stuff, um, you know, I like Reaper. I have some Reaper uh, models that, that have not gotten painted yet. Um, the thing about Reaper is they have a head start. I mean, they have a, they have a huge head start. Their Kickstarters have been very successful. Um, and I think WizKids just, you know, give them time. I think if WizKids continues to release, um, at the price point they're releasing with, you know, the collections, you're not getting one, you get two or three. Uh, if they can keep that up, keep the price low, keep the details high, the detail work of the models high, um, and just continue, continue, continue to release new models, I think they will develop, uh, as just as good or better a reputation. Um, I will say that I like Reaper miniatures for the variety they offer, but I'm not finding the detail of the Reapers I have to be matching this new uh, Nolzers, like for, you know the D&D Nolzers miniatures. I'm not. Uh, I think the detail is a little bit better on these new Whiskids uh, miniatures. I don't disagree, and I think that as someone who played HeroClix for a very long time, which is also a Whiskids product the quality of those which are basically little superhero miniatures on a plastic base, those quality was hit and miss. So I'm happy. I'm very glad to see the consistent quality of these unpainted miniatures. So anybody got anything else about this or should we move on? Just uh whiz kids. If you're listening, thank you. And please um, reach out to Topher, reach out to this, uh, this podcast and, and let us know you're listening to the customer and Hey, you know, what would be even greater is ask us what we want. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would, uh, I promise I'll buy a bunch. Like dice. Need more dice. Check out easyrollerdice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, Make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. All right. Topic two this evening is um, part of the reason I had these two gentlemen on here uh, is 3D printing in D&D, like how it's influenced D&D and the use of terrain in general, the creating of terrain, not so much going and buying it off the shelf, right? Not uh, Dwarven Forge is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of Dwarven Forge. I'm, I'm a huge fan of other, some of those other companies that make the pre-made terrain, um, but uh, I think that 
in this age of affordable 3D printers and channels like yours, um, DM Jim, um, and some of the other ones that you talk about, which I'll ask you about in a little bit, the, the ability for the home DM to make their own um, terrain is pretty great. So I'm going to start with you, Mr. Whitehead. Uh, as someone who has recently um, been printing um, like a fiend on your on your newly acquired 3D printer, what is your thoughts? What's your thoughts on this as a way? Is, is, it, is it cost efficient? Is it is it just just kind of tell me what you think is the state of it right now for D and D? I think there are many and growing resources available for the player and the DM to really build at a very cost-effective way, a library of figures, uh, filaments. Obviously, you have some high startup costs. The, the printers are not cheap, but growing in affordability. The number of Prusa clones out there has made it a really approachable hobby. It is still not for the faint of heart. Uh, it does require some technical aptitude and knowledge and a desire to tinker. Even if you don't want to build your own printer and acquire a printer of pre-assembled, like Monoprice does some great work, uh, Wanho does some great work, and those are all various clones of the, the Prusa i3, what you'll find is that you still have to dial in the settings. And it's not just a color printer where you take your photograph of your kids and you send it to the printer and boom, it's done. Much like any professional photographer, there's things you can do with the color and the tones and the shadings of those photos to make them better. The same thing for printing. You still have to kind of spend some time dialing into the settings of your printer. Um, I've having some struggles recently with printing off a little uh, goblin army because some of the, the models that I found are just so fine that I've got to just really kind of tinker with the the retraction and the temperature of the filament. But just from a cost-effective standpoint, once you have the investment in the printer, filaments is very affordable, uh, usually around U.S. $15 for a roll, about 2,000 meters, which will print you a lot of goblins, provided you can get the model working, which so far I have not, but uh, always onward and upward. And the real investment there is time. Uh, if you don't have any 3D skill, which I'm not sure I would claim to, uh, places like Thingiverse – and a number of other sites have models available. Uh, nice guy. Um, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name at the moment. Um, Miguel Zavala had released like 300 miniatures on Shapeways that he's not selling, but he's made available for download so you can print them and have a whole army of miniatures. The only investment on your part is really time. Uh, but it does require quite a bit of time to really get a good looking figure and one that you'll want to paint and, and keep around for quite some time. So if time is a, of a factor, you're, you're DMing that evening, you may not be able to take the time to invest in printing something, but just from an actual use of materials and a wealth of files available, you have quite an army of figures that you can print off for your games and be very happy with the quality of the product. I don't disagree with you. I think that's a really great way to say that. Uh, Mr. DM, Jim, I, I know that you have created for, uh, terrain even before you, you started using your 3D printer for stuff. What's your thoughts on the, the DIY terrain world in general, and specifically how do you see the 3D printer playing into it? You know, right now there are probably uh, – I'm going to go – I'm going to call – I'm going to pull a blank here, but there are probably about four or five terrain creation companies that are selling – Basically, what they're selling is t a lot of tile work. Um, one of the ones that I use a lot is uh, Fat Dragon Games. Uh, Tom Tullis owns it. Fat Dragon Games will sell you like these little packages of models, so you can get like the basic dungeon for you know nine ninety nine. And what it is, it's all the models to print like 
a 90 degree wall, a corner wall, a door, and a and a two by two inch you know fl- uh, plain plate uh, plain tile. So you know you could start out very basic, and um, there are some open source tiles out there uh, that you can get for free. And uh, all of these are usually they're the one inch scale. Uh, most of them are the one inch scale. Uh, terrain tiles there's a there's one called true tiles that uh goes to one and a quarter and there's a whole reason for that but um uh what i would say is this um i don't use my 3d printer to print miniatures uh my 3d printer just does not have the resolution to get the detail that i can get from these pre-purchased miniatures so knowing that i have really used my 3d printer mainly to supplement my gaming terrain. You know, I, I can make, I can draw out things that I need or I can download them from Google's images, image directory and print them out as needed. But every now and then there's something I want to put in front of my players. And David mentioned a, a website called Thingiverse. I can go out to Thingiverse and if I want to print some columns, for example, I can find guys who have uploaded, you know, 20 different types of columns. I download the one I want for free print it out on my printer. I can print 10 of them. I can print five of them, two of them, you know, whatever I, I need. And and David is correct. Listen, 3D printing, uh, it, it looks cool on TV, and that's because they show you these little 30-second or 60-second snippets, and then they show you the end result. What they don't show you is the 45-minute or three hours that you, you know, started it going and walked away and came back and walked away and came back. You know, I um for, just as an example, I downloaded a whole bunch of tiles from Fat Dragon Games, and they're really incredibly detailed. And I started printing out one of each, and I would watch how long it took me to print them. And so I would append at the end of the file the time, like 1.5 HR for one point one and a half hours. And almost all of the tiles I found were taking about one and a half to two hours to print. Now, do the math. If you want to make a little room that say you know, nine, three tiles by three tiles for a total of nine tiles, you're going to be printing for anywhere from, you know, 18 hours up to 30 hours. And you'll, now these are tiles that you can paint and keep and reuse over and over again. Um, but what, what you don't know is that sometimes you start a print job. David can back me up on this. You start a print job and you walk away and you come back 30 minutes later and you find out that, uh, something didn't, something came unstuck or it, 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 it gummed up somewhere and you got to start over again. <laughs> I will say this, 3D printing right now is still in its infancy. I, I think people might, a lot of people might disagree with me on that, but it's not, like David said, it's not like you can just download an item, uh, send it over to your machine, and forget about it. There's a lot of fidget and finicky, there's finicky behavior with every 3D printer. I've not seen a 3D printer yet that did not require a little bit of you know, sweet talk to get it to, to behave. So it can be frustrating, but I will say this. I love having my 3D printer, and I've got so many ideas in my head for things I want to create and do for my players. It's, it's a tool. It's a nice tool. You know, People who are good at woodworking or painting, they can create their own types of masterpieces for their game tables. I have a 3D printer, and I'm going to use it to push the limits so that I, my players have an enjoyable time and, and get to see some cool stuff. So I'm a big fan of uh, Fat Dragon Game and Tom's stuff. I was... 
I used his paper miniatures, his paper scenery, quite yeah. extensively. Um, if you in my game room where I, where I run my home game, if you open up the closet, there are three shelves just packed with buildings and yeah, boxes full of tiles and stuff. And it's great. And I, you know, I bought myself a, a nice color printer to print the stuff out. I even bought myself a cameo paper cutter to make cutting them out faster and simpler. I did all that, and I liked it a lot. The problem was is that they were very, for me at least, they were very one situational. And they took up a lot of space. So the concept of being able to print, to do something like um, what Dwarven Forge does, where I can have a large amount of dungeon tiles, so floors and walls and cavern walls and cavern floors and that kind of stuff, is very intriguing to me. But as I hear both of you talking, it seems like that the 3D printing of this stuff isn't quite there yet, at least not for the the non-technical or non-super DIYer DM yet. I think that we're still reliant on things like um, the your uh, some some of the video podcasts out there that show you how to cut blue foam and cut you know cardboard and such into tiles and and you know make that stuff there. So I um I find that interesting. So uh, I I want to pivot on this just slightly and let's not talk about 3D printing, but in general. As someone who is, I, I have two people who I would consider makers. I know, you know, Mr. Whitehead, you are heavily involved in building props and that kind of stuff. And DM Jim, I know, obviously, you uh, run a channel. And you, do you think that we're coming into an age or a time where it's becoming easier or, or should I say, more expedient to build this stuff out of other materials? Or do you think that we are we need a, a third-party resource? We need somebody like a Dwarven Forge, but is more cost-efficient. I'm going to start with you, uh, Jim. You know, there are a lot of channels um, out there that will show you how to make your own terrain. I mean, um, we'll get into that a little later. I think you want to talk about it. But there are, you know, you can go to YouTube and type game terrain or, or fantasy terrain, and you're going to find a lot of resources that will show you how to how to make things from scratch. There, there are guys out there that make things from junk, and it's it's incredible what they are able to do um, with just cardboard, some glue, hot glue, and some paint. I mean, this is what got me into it. When I started watching these videos, I started realizing that, you know, I want to give my players uh, a visual, a more visual tabletop. So I started watching these videos, and I started realizing it's it's not all that difficult if you if you want to spend the time and, and do it. I love it. I think that. I would much rather make something for my table than to buy it. Now, there are some things I will spend money on to buy because I think they might be you know, useful over time more than once. If I'm going to use something once, I would first investigate making it on my own uh, out of foam or cardboard or whatever just because you know, if you never use it again, you haven't spent a fortune on it. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Mr. Whitehead, what's your thoughts on this? I, I think I come up from a different angle than Jim, whereas that – there are certain things I'm passionate about and I will want to spend time making or creating. Uh, minis are one of them. I love the painting. I love the printing of them. I love the, the buying of them and the painting of them. From a limited experience DM and just from an overall um, a player perspective, scenery becomes less exciting for me. And I would be happy to throw down a few dollars for something to help add flavor and color to my game, but I'm not sure I'd want to spend time on it. I think Jim makes a good point that we are at probably... I won't say a golden age, but we are at a significant age where we have almost unparalleled choice 
we can choose to create. We have a lot of great tutorials like the channel that Jim is doing beyond the number of other YouTube and websites that have tutorials on how to create terrain or how to create elements for your D&D game. We also have some great vendors out there who are providing products. So in this case, really, the possibilities are endless. We can just figure out what meets our needs the best. Will I have time to create some terrain? That would be cool. I loved drawing the maps for the session of D&D I ran over at Titans. That was a lot of fun, and I had a lot more fun than I was expecting. But to me, it doesn't seem like an exciting use of my time to start building up like actual foam rocks for the cave scene that I was using. I would much rather have, honestly, I'd much rather have a um, holographic monitor on my table that projected a 3D serene that I projected there, <laughs> but we're not, we're not quite to Star Trek land yet. So I think uh, on the other side, I would rather buy my terrain because that doesn't excite me and I'm sure I can make up a use to use it again, but spend time crafting my character in a mini or uh, creating a character for friends to, to use at their games than spend time doing terrain or that kind of modeling. No offense, Jim, I, I completely value and love no. what you're doing, but it's not... I, I think... I think David and I are going to have to um, going to have to trade services. You know, tell me what you need. Uh, tell me how big the boulder, David, and I'll tell you how many skeletons I need. Perfect. <laughs> See, there you go. Sharing among friends. All right, I think we're good here. Um, I think I want to move on to topic three, which is um, DM Jim's new uh, YouTube show, The Game Terrain Engineer. Uh, I found out about it because uh, Make Magazine did a great little article about you and um i saw it on the social medias and uh, i'm super happy for you sir yeah that was a uh, surprise i didn't i did not know that was gonna um the the author uh told me just real fast before it even went live he's like, oh by the way i got something going up on make about you i was like thank you i didn't expect it so tell us about the channel um the channel is called Game Terrain Engineering, and you're getting very excited about it because I've only got six videos so far. Now, I, I, I'm hoping the day comes where I'll have 100 videos, um, but it, it has just started. And my, you know, as the Make article said, my reason for wanting to start the channel was I have a young son, um, age, well, he'll be 10 in, in four days, and um, he has started playing Dungeons and Dragons, and he likes to watch some of these terrain videos with me. And the problem is, we're running out of videos. I mean, some of the some of the websites are, or some of the channels I like to watch with him, um, you know, they're also in their infancy. And when I say infancy, I mean they have less than a hundred videos. Some of these guys have five hundred or more. We were watching them, and we were at one particular uh, video service. It's called Wylock's Armory, which is outstanding. And I'll, Topher, I'll give you the, the link for it. Or it's just called Wylock's Armory. You can Google it on YouTube. Uh, he has about, I don't know, um, 60 or 70 videos at this point, and we've watched them all numerous times. And, and my son just said, hey, Dad, you should make a video about that thing you made. And I thought, ha-ha, yeah, whatever. And you know, we started watching another one, and he said, oh, you know, why doesn't he do a video of this? And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And it just, you know, this has been over the last maybe four or five months I've been pondering. And then about a month ago, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to pull the trigger and do it because these guys are doing a service. They're they're offering up their time and their expertise. And a lot of people complain, you know, like, oh, you don't put out videos fast enough. And I was probably one of those that griped at some point. And I just realized, I said, you know, I'm going to, instead of adding to the problem, I'm going to try and help. I figure if I could add some videos and maybe stagger them when they're, you know, release them when these other guys aren't releasing theirs, you know, maybe I can add something to the community and, and, and share some of the things I've done. So I had a chance to, to watch your channel a little bit today and I was, um, 
really quite impressed with the uh, the monument, the cemetery monument that you put together, just out of like a little box from Hobby Lobby and some of your 3D printing. <laughs> um, yeah. Is, is there a like a if I'm starting out into building uh, some some scenery, would you recommend a pr- particular medium? Is it foam? Is it just crafting stuff together from from odds and ends? How would you recommend somebody get started with this? Well, you know, I'm going to drop two names to you here. Uh, the first one is DM Scotty. The second one is the DMG.info, and these are two heavy hitter YouTube guys. DMG.info is heavy on cardboard. Okay. Uh, DM Scotty started out with cardboard, and he's he's all over the place. He uses foam. He uses all kinds of, of uh, material. Um, cardboard and foam are obviously two of the cheaper materials. They're lightweight. You can paint them. You can glue them. Um, that seems to be right now where most of the handmade terrain, uh, the, the, the people who are doing handmade terrain, that, that seems to be the way it's going is towards the foam because you can buy it in different thicknesses. It's easy to cut, easy to prime, easy to glue. And, uh, you know, cardboard is great, but cardboard, I've, I've played with cardboard, and cardboard has its strengths and weaknesses. But one of the weaknesses is, is cardboard tends to um, get soggy if you put too much paint on it, uh, whereas foam just doesn't do that. Uh, but to answer your question, um, foam and cardboard are still pretty the, the two big uh, materials that most people tend to be using. I tend to favor foam mainly because um, I just like the weight of it. Uh, I like how it can cut, and uh, and it's and it's um, it's cheap. You know, I buy it in a, in a four by eight sheet at my Home Depot, and then I cut it up in, into four two by four you know pieces, and um, you know put it aside until I need it. Excellent. How long does it usually take you to do like a piece for for one of your games? Well, um, you mentioned the uh, the crypt, the one that came that I made out of the box. Or were you talking about the? I, my naming conventions are horrible. Um, <laughs> I have one that's a very small sarcophagus like uh, object, and then I have a bigger one that I call the crypt, which was a sort of a mausoleum type type look to it. Probably would have been um, the uh, sarcophagus was the one the video I had gotten to today. Yeah, the sarcophagus was really easy. It was a tiny little cardboard box, about one and a half inches by two and a half inches by an inch and a half tall. Had a lid, and um, I saw it in the hobby shop, and it was you know it was fifty cents. And uh, I was I picked it up and I flipped it over and realized that if you took the lid and put it on the bottom, it looked like a base of a of a sarcophagus. And uh, I bought about three or four of them. Came home, started experimenting with it, and then I realized that um, this was all before I. You know, did my 3D printer stuff. I made one and I used cardboard embellishments for it. And then I started looking at the lid and I thought, I remember all those great sarcophaguses that had the carved relief figure, you know, resting on top. And um, I went out to Thingiverse and I found a wizard miniature and I cut him in half in a CAD program called Tinkercad. And I created a little thin cardboard, uh, thin plastic lid, put the wizard half length, you know, flat down on it, printed it out and I was surprised. Whoa, it looked cool, and uh, glued it on, painted it, and then and I've got about four versions of that. I, the one I just made for the video has a bluish tint, which I'm not. I know some people didn't like that, but I lo- in person it looks really cool. It has this like blue marble running through it. Oh, but, very cool. Uh, it, that, that took about an hour. It took about an hour to make. Really, I would have expected longer, based on some of the, the time uh, lapse I saw in the video. The um, the printing of the lid took about thirty minutes, and then of course you know just gluing the 
cardboard box to the lid um, and then painting it, not counting drying time, but, you know, because I, 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 I start on projects and then I, I put them aside in my workshop and I go work on another one. But if I had to estimate, I think printing and painting, I probably could make one of those little sarcophaguses in, in less in about an hour, hour, maybe an hour and a half. So what you're telling me is I really have no excuse to try and make some terrain. I'm just being lazy. <laughs> well, go go look at episode. I, I'm gonna. This is really bad. I'm gonna. I'm already getting my numbers out of out of memory here. I think it's episode five. I make one called the crypt. Now the crypt is only about eight, only maybe seven or eight times bigger than the sarcophagus. But that one took. Uh, if I had to guess, I, I was keeping track of the time somewhat. Printing the columns and the door took some time, so I would estimate that one probably took about seven or eight hours to make. You know, that's painting, gluing, the whole works. Mm-hmm. And, and then, of course, in another video, I showed you how to make the door and the columns without 3D printing. And, and it occurred to me that I could make these much quicker if I skipped the 3D printing route. It's just <laughs> that the 3D printer adds so much detail. The columns have these little ribs in them, and the door has stone and a ring and wood texture. And just hard to, hard to walk away from the things a 3D printer can offer a, a terrain maker. Absolutely agree. I- I, I so I've watched all six of your videos. Um, you've taken up uh, most of my lunchtime since your channel <laughs> launched. If my question for you is, I think this is all fantastic and wonderful, but there's going to be somebody listening to this, somebody go watch it, and they're going to say, "I can't do this." What's your one tip to someone who's sitting at home? I don't know if I can do this. I don't know where to start. What's your one thing to tell them? You start with DM Scotty's early videos where he was a novice himself and he just wanted to, and this was five years ago that he started this. He has over 600 videos. Start with his first video, itemize them by oldest to newest. And he starts out with just making simple tiles out of cardboard and painting them with these stamp textures. And I started doing it and I realized, wow, that's not, it looks, you you watch this guy do it on video and you think, oh man, he makes it look so easy. And then you go do it and you're like, wow, no wonder it it really is easy. And that's that's not to insult DM Scotty. I think he just struck hot and, and he's got such a following because he's shown people that, look, you don't have to be an artist. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be a, an architect to create these things that your players can enjoy. Um, so I would say go to DM Scotty and, uh, and the funny thing about DM Scotty is that channel will lead you down a rabbit hole of other channels like Wylock, Black Magic Craft, DMG Info, The Terrain Tutor. These are all names that you will find, uh, once you get sucked into that black hole. So FYI, DM Scotty's channel is actually The DM's Craft. Is that correct? That's correct. It's called The DM's Craft, all one word. And, and we it, have, we have links in the show notes. Good. Uh, and definitely I'll, uh, you know, I think we should put the links to the other ones I've mentioned because they are, it's funny that there's been this maturity uh, since Scotty started five years ago. The stuff that uh, Jeremy at Black Magic Craft and Wylock, uh, Wylock's Armory, these guys are doing, and, and this is all stuff that anybody can do, but they've taken what Scotty has shown, the skills that Scotty has helped people develop. And they've just stepped it up a notch, and they're using techniques and materials that are still readily available, but they just – they make the stuff look so much the, – the, rea- the realism, the detail work is, is incredible. You just have to go look at it. I have one rebuttal to the point you made, Jim. I love everything that you said, but I think that by virtue of us playing D&D and the things that we're doing, we're already artists. 
And we don't need to have some sort of hang up about us not being an artist to do the scene work or to do the miniature work. All we need to do is follow the trail blazed by DM Scotty and you and everyone else because you all have been so generous with your time and showing us how to get to probably shortcutting hours worth of us learning and making mistakes and learning from those mistakes but being able to actually go and say, oh, this is how I create a sarcophagus or a crypt or anything that we would need for our games. But I, I would hesitate to, to tell anybody that they're not an artist because of they don't feel that they're an artist. They're creating a world, either through the theater of the mind, through what they're doing. Take that passion that you have and apply a little bit to some of the scenery because you certainly can. Yeah. If you can yeah. do any no, of I, this. I, I, um, yeah, I think when I use the word artist, I'm talking about like professional, you know, like a painter. Um, that that I'm not that level of painter. I, I aspire to be. Um, so I, I wasn't meaning any insult to to DMs because DMs are artists. You're right. We're storytellers yeah. and and we are creative people. Hopefully, but the, you know, here's the thing. You bring up a good point. If you're a DM and you are able to weave a story at your table and your players are enjoying it, um, you have the creative spark. And if you put your mind to it, you can pretty much do anything. So terrain should not scare you away. 3D printing should not scare you away. In my case, painting miniatures, I'm taking a big leap here. I'm trying to teach myself to paint miniatures because it's not something I do well, but I've got the, I've sort of gotten over my fear of it through these other things I've done and just decided, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it out there, share it with the world, and hopefully they'll like what I do. And you'll judge yourself a heck of a lot harder than anyone else will. So go for it. And we all here would love to have you guys go for it. And if you want to share your pictures with us, please do. Um, you know, you can at the end here, you're going to hear how to reach us all on social media. There's also the Tome Shows Facebook page. We would love to see those pictures of what scenery you created after watching DMGMs or any of these other videos. All right, guys, anything else you want to talk about here? Or should we wrap this up and let people walk away from the roundtable? Well, I just thanks for inviting me, Topher. I always enjoy sitting around and talking yeah. game, gaming with you. No problem. You guys are, are wonderful guests. I'm sure I'll have you both back. Uh, DM Jim, where can people find you in the world? Uh, I do write for geekdad.com. I uh, write under my own name, James Floyd Kelly. Uh, as you say, I've got my new channel. Uh, I'm hoping to have another video put up tonight. It may not go up until tomorrow, another uh, episode for the uh, Game Train Engineering. And um, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Twitter at James Floyd Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. Right on. Mr. Whitehead, how can the world find you? Uh, I hide under rocks, so I'm not all that particularly <laughs> findable. But um, if, if you do need to get in touch with me, I am on the Twitters at, at Dave Whitehead. Uh, you can also reach out to me on Facebook. Uh, I'm just David.Whitehead on Facebook. You can reach out to me there. And uh, no real sites or anything to promote. I'm just a, a guy who enjoys D&D &D and making things and have uh, uh, hopefully uh, not scared anyone away from getting into 3D printing because it's an absolute blast. And my reticence for terrain will hopefully not leach out in anyone else because Jim's work is amazing. Go check out his channel. Right on. And I'm your lovely host, Topher Cohen. You can find me on the Twitters at... Topher ATL, T-O-P-H-E-R-A-T-L. You can also find me on the Facebooks at Topher.Cohan, T-O-P-H-E-R dot K-O-H-A-N. If you live in the metro Atlanta area and you're free on Wednesday nights, come by Titan Game to Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. I help coordinate their Adventures League there and their public play, and we play in D&D &D there. Uh, and, if, and also you can reach you through the Tome Show Facebook page, so you can find me there. All right, everybody, I want to thank Jim 
and Dave one more time for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to go over to the tomeshow.com and use the affiliate links and head over to patreon.com, the Tome Show, and you can support the show that way if you choose. Special thanks to Eric Michaels for the music you are listening to right now. Thanks all and see you next time at the round table.